On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. This week on the Indo Daily. I asked her to leave me alone. I felt like she was harassing me. And she was insistent that, you know, these were just coincidences. Catherine Martin, she is in favour of scrapping the TV licence and giving money to RT direct from the exchequer. Tonished Michael Martin, dead set against it. No way, not happening. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. This is an Irish independent podcast. If we constantly put a negative spin off teams trying to try things tactically differently, every time something changes, what, do we talk negatively about it? Mm. You know, and I get that. I get that we want to be expansive. We want that, you know, end-to-end type of football. But that's not the way it's going to be. I went down to a development squad trial. Uh, I'd done really well and there was a guy there and again I had a bit of a chip in my shoulder doesn't mean it was a fact there was a guy there from Nafina who was picking the team even picked me and I said no I'm not playing home now again Hello and welcome to this week's Throw-In with Dublin legend Philly McMahon I'm Sinead Kassan and I'm also joined by the Irish Independence Conor McKeown Now off the back of last weekend's provincial finals we look ahead to how the All-Ireland football quarter-finals might play out and who's likely to come through this weekend's qualifiers First though we're going to start with the surprising news this week that Owen O'Donnell the Dublin hurling captain has joined the Dublin football panel So Philly what's your reaction to that? I was kind of excited for it um, in that I think Physically, I've watched this fella play hurling for, for the Dublin Haulers and kind of has been a massive um, leader for, for the Haulers. And I think that he could bring that to the footballers. However, since he's come, since I've heard him come in, I've heard he's gone in as a full forward. So I'm not too sure um, how that's going to impact a team that already has a lot of good full forwards, you know. Um, how will it impact uh, the environment, the group? The, the other f- full forwards that are there uh, if he doesn't play will he go straight back to the holders next year so there's loads of questions to be answered but um, for me from what I've heard he's a decent full forward um, he's doing well he's doing well you could say he's doing well at Division 2 uh, but I still think there's a really there's, I mean the teams that are maybe the top 4 in Division 2 are still really good teams um, so I wouldn't dismiss that either but they're the questions I'd have to ask is, would he be <clears throat> would it be more beneficial having him as a defender Yeah. because of his, his is that uh, where physicality he's more, <clears throat> well the thing is for me if you think this strategically like if he came in as a defender we've got a couple of injuries defensively um, when you're playing opposition and, and the opposition are kind of looking at this fella saying yeah he's, he hasn't really played much football at this level but yeah he's a hauler and you look at him as a hauler you're kind of going wow he's probably what we kind of need you know, if you, if you can bring that across in terms of physicality, being strong, getting out in front, winning the ball, all that sort of stuff. Or maybe a target man, him being marking a target man, which which is probably what the job I used to do. Um, that way, then the group are kind of saying, well, we need defenders, so it's okay for somebody to come in at this time of the year 
Um, and it's not just we're bringing him in because he's a holder and there's this thing between Dublin footballers and Dublin holders. Whereas I think if you bring him in as a fo full forward and he plays ahead of the other full forwards that have been there for the last two or three years, you're going to kind of piss them off a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so I think strategically, I think the management have to be smart about this because it could ruffle a few feathers as well. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we haven't seen this before, Connor, with Dublin, but the fact that he's the Dublin hurling captain, does that make any difference? Not for me, because I know that like he's a very prodigious footballer as well. Like He kicked 2-2 two -two last night for his club in a league game against um, Temple Oak Sing Street. So like he's in opposition. Oh yeah, in full forward. Yeah, it? full yeah, forward. Yeah. So like he's a very prodigious footballer, and I know that Dublin management over the years, football management have gone looking for him. Mm -hmm. um, in the past, this is a unique situation. The Dublin hurlers have never been out of the championship this early this before. Um, so whether it's a case of he parachutes in, adds something to the football setup, and then goes back, like the big question for the Dublin hurlers, I I don't have a sort of don't see where there would be a big problem with him going to the Dublin footballers now. But the the, the question is whether he's going to stay there. And I think that would probably come down to whether he plays or not. So if he goes into the setup and he never gets off the bench, you'd imagine he'll go straight back to the hurlers next year. Now, there's obviously a question about the Dublin hurlers at the moment. Management's term is up. The year didn't go well for them in the end. So maybe that's all to, still to be decided. But like I know Owen, is a, like he's a really, really solid lad. He's the sort of fella that would be good to have around any camp. There's a lot of experience in the Dublin senior hurling panel and they gave the captaincy to him last this year. So he's the sort of the fella you want to have it around. But in terms of where he plays, defence is where they need bodies. But I don't see a guy who has never played football at that level being able to go in and start as a defender because there's, there's too much to take into consideration. The only defensive role you could envisage for him is the one that Philly played, where you go in for the last five minutes, there's a big guy there, and your job is to physically match him uh, and break the ball down. Other than that, I think he's gone in there as a forward. Could you see him doing your role? So Connor's basically saying there that what I did was you absolutely. <laughs> you don't have to be any decent you, player to yeah, do it. Yeah, you could pick um, any lad in off the street and just. <laughs> I, I just think um, I agree with you, agree with you, Connor, but I just don't know enough about him to say that he can't do this. You know, I'd be very naive to sit here and say he his can't. His big be thing is his, his athleticism. Like yeah. even at senior yeah. intercounty hurling level, <clears> he is extraordinarily physical. The way he moves, like he's a guy. You know, when you see an athlete run, it's like all the mechanics are all like he gets across the ground much quicker. You see how sometimes he will get to a ball as a full back in hurling and he's starting from a position behind. And it's not necessarily that he's sprinting any faster. It's just that his body movement is more efficient. But the thing that sets him apart, I think, as a hurling fullback is his instinct. He knows when to get out in front, when to sit in behind, when to clean the fella out, when to make a foul. But I think that goes out the window if you're switching goals because, you know, the, the speed the ball is coming in is completely different. But what's going to be like for the players who are in the football panel? I mean, does it ruffle their, their feathers as it were? You know, does the, it put no. them on guard a bit more that there's another guy being brought in and they're not quite sure perhaps what My experience, no, it doesn't. Like, you know, there's there's been a couple of players that have transferred across um, from Holland to football. Tom, Tomas Brady, Mark Shute, I think is is the big two ones that were kind of going back and forth for a while. I know Colin Keeney, Colin Keeney went the other the other way, um, but no, dude, because they were all good lads. They came in and they added. But um, I'd say if you had them sitting there, sitting down in front of you now, and you're asking the question, did that work? That transition, um, and they are, they both transitioned as forwards as well. It probably didn't work as well as they'd liked in terms of game game time and minutes, you know. Um, but I do think. Um, I, I do think O'Donnell like is a he's a bit of an outlier in my eyes. I'm f from the get go. He's a player that I. Some people will watch Shane Walsh, Clifford, 
Conal Callan and go, I'd pay to the admission alone to watch them play football. I very rarely watch Horland, but when I watch Horland, he's a player that I would watch a game for to see, and, and that's, and I, you know, it's probably because I'm a, a defender, you know, that I, I would actually watch him and see what he's doing. and Because um, he's so good, management puts so much trust in him now, because in Horland now, there's so many def- sweepers and teams sitting back that most fullbacks, their job is to defend the guy that's in front of them and stay in behind. Whereas with O'Donnell, Dublin management have no problem if there's a load of space in around them because whether the full forward goes short looking for it, whether he carries it in, whether it's pumped in on top of him, he literally has the full range of, of tricks back there. Like, do, you know, do you know what the big issue is? Sorry for going across you. Do you know what the biggest issue might be? We're talking about him being a defender, but he probably doesn't want to be a defender. Well, I think that he probably is wants part this of the to thing. be a forward, you know? Yeah, I think that is part of the thing, you know, as a forward. What is the relationship like between the Dublin football panel and the hurling panel? I don't know. As in, like but the players. What was it like in your time? Yeah, was there? I don't any really cross paths that no. often, unless unless there's any kind of clubs that have horn and football. Like, well, there's a big chunk of the footballing team. Seven players are coming from Ballymun Kickers that don't have any horn team. So mm. there's no crossover there. I've never really. I've never had any relationship with any of the holders or anything like that. I'd say hello to them, and mm. there's times where, in, in definitely in the lockdown and through COVID, I would have been running in, in uh, plunkets, and I would have seen them up there, and you just, you know, you'd be you just say hello to them and that's about it so I don't know if there's any relationship between them like it's, there's no animosity to each other there's no disrespect or anything like that but um, for me I just think the, the holders keep losing out on this and mm. there has to be some it's point where thing. there's a change it's culturally a huge thing. In, in 2011 the Dublin Miners got to an All-Ireland minor final um, and in the semi-final they beat Waterford by 6-19 to 5-13 and it was a huge victory and there was an awful lot pinned on the potential of that team. But that day, the two highest scorers for Dublin were Cormac Costello scored 4-2 and Kieran Kilkenny scored 1-6 wow. and they were absolutely electric. And Kieran Kilkenny from the age, when Kieran Kilkenny was 14, Castleknock, who were a, a, a young enough club at that stage and going up through the ranks, won an All-Ireland Division 1 failure hurling title down at Kilkenny and Kieran Kilkenny was off the charts and at that stage he was actually mapped in hurling counties as a hurler he was so good so of that team that beat Waterford in the All-Ireland Minor semi-final got to the final Keno Callahan and Chris Crummy have probably had big impacts at Dublin at senior hurling level but in that team were Costello Kilkenny Emmett O'Connell who was on the bench for Dublin footballers last week, mm. Eric Lowndes, and who was the other one? Uh, Connor McHugh. So there's a fifth, mm. oh, sorry, there's a third of the last really, really good Dublin minor team that got to an All-Ireland final and they were all lost to football. So you mm. throw in Lee Gannon, Conor Callahan on top of that as well. The hurlers have always come out on the wrong side of those close calls. And you can't blame players. Like, I mean, it's up to players to choose what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Look at the two situations now. Mm-hmm. Which would you do if you had if you had that choice? And I don't think anybody would blame O'Donnell. I, but yeah. the, but it's, I'm not sure any county, like even counties like Tipperary and Kilkenny that have huge picks of really strong hurlers could lose that number of their best at underage and, and still survive as a, a like an all Ireland force at senior level. Yeah. Is there is there a thing in a, uh, in this? And I just popped into the head where you were talking. To be honest, like, is there any hurling only clubs that have a strong representative re- represents the, of the, of like basically f- like Kickham's have in terms of six or seven players? There's not really, is there? So Tanta would be no. a, a hurling only no, club. No commercials as well. There's very commercials. Few. Fogs. 
Yeah, but they like but they don't like so so they're clubs that are just horning only that if you are going to play for Dublin, you're not going to have any kind of dual situation unless they play for Jewards or mm. there's a crossover there. But I think that's something that needs to be looked at from the Horning point of view. Mm. Can you get more players from those type of clubs? Because yeah, there has been a bit of a, 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 a move recently in Dublin at minor level. You don't have very many dual minor players anymore. Mm. Um, that hasn't been the case for years. Now, whether that just means that the hurlers are losing out at an earlier age or not, um, I don't know. But like you, you won't have a situation where you have a Dublin minor football and Dublin minor hurling panel with five players that overlap. That mm. just tends not to happen anymore. But the last real big dual prospect was Lee Gannon and he's now starting for the footballers he was mm. a huge prospect for the hurlers as well So what's going to happen this summer you know <clears throat> if Owen does well will he be welcomed back by the Dublin hurlers next year what kind of decision will he have to make oh. ah, Of course they'll welcome him yeah. back you know I mean I don't think there's any I don't think any of the hurlers would have any issue with Owen O'Donnell because he's been hugely committed for them and nobody has done more for the team itself mm-hmm. as just contributing on, on the pitch Um so if he comes back at the start of next year for the league, they'll they'll Would you take back. him back as captain? I think they would. Yeah. I don't think I, I would. Would they not? Do I, you think I so? don't think I would. Why? Because he's showed interest. He's basically Do you think he's betrayed his... the hurlers in some way? No, I don't think he's betrayed. Um like if he went I, playing I'd soccer, agree, I'd say take him back, definitely hundred percent. But like if 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 he went playing soccer, say he went off and played mm. soccer with with a with a you know, an elite amateur team or whatever it is, or mm. say he went off and played basketball. Like it wouldn't be the same thing. Like the Dublin hurling season is literally over now. Whitehall won't get going again in yeah. the hurling championship for another six weeks or two or whatever it is. So I suppose because there's this one or the other dynamic and has been over the years, that's the way the people are viewing it now. But just at this moment in time, it's actually not one or the other. It's either play football or don't or don't play anything. So yeah, but, but, but the captaincy I'm talking about yeah. is yeah, well, something that I would yeah. be thinking in the back of my head if I'm one of his if I'm one of his teammates. If you done well with Dublin footballers, you probably wouldn't be here. So if you're not like, why would we then instead? Why, why would you give it a captaincy to somebody that possibly w- wouldn't be here? Like if you done well with the footballers, well, like, he, I'm not sure. But I can I'd imagine. Be, I can't imagine he would have gone if unless the Dublin hurler season was over. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree. Yeah, well, but I, yeah. I, I mean, like for that reason, you would take him back into the yeah. camp of the holders. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's fair. But as a captain, I'm not sure. Yeah, can we, can we see this happen a bit more, do you think, Connor? then? Or is this just a one-off, the way just the season is this year? I don't think there's too many other prospects in the Dublin yeah. hurling panel that w- that would be of that level. Um, O'Donnell has been, is the one that they've been talking about for years. I'm pretty certain that previous Dublin managers... Scrummy play football. Yeah, he? he plays a bit, but he doesn't probably play enough to, mm. to, to see enough of him at that level. Mm. Um, but... Uh, no, I don't think I don't think there's going to be much crossover. You'd like you'd like to think that in, in years to come that the Dublin hurler season would last at least sort of three quarters of the length of the footballers, and at that stage, it would be too late. Because look, if this if there wasn't four weeks till the All Ireland quarter final, if that was coming in two weeks' time, I don't think Dublin management would have brought him in because they they need this four weeks now to run the rule over him to see whether he's going to be able for this level. Phil, you said there you do, you don't watch kind of too much hurling. Mm. Is there too much of a divide between the codes in Dublin, or why? I didn't play that. I played it. I played for Stanta to the age of I think it was maybe fourteen, fifteen, mm. and I wasn't that great to be honest. I I was good in that. I had the physical attributes from from playing football to be able to run around after somebody. I remember my job was to mark the opposition's best player, but just like literally keep him off the ball, like. So my my um back then my the player I used to mark all the time was Alan McCrab. 
that was him. I just used to stick on his toes and I literally kicked the ball away more than pucking the ball away. You know, like, that's how bad I was. But I was able to play like, and I, was, I think I played. I, I think I played. Um, I went down to a development squad trial. Uh, I done really well, and there was a guy there. And again, I had a bit of a chip in my shoulder. It doesn't mean it was a fact. There was a guy there from Nafina who was picking the team, and he didn't pick me. And I said, "No, I'm not playing horn now again." <laughs> so that was it. went, but um, wouldn't be like it all approach, right? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't. I don't think there's like if if anybody's trying to musty between both calls, there's no. There's no, it's no. a it's a funny relationship. Like you find now that. Okay, it was one thing when 20 years ago that the big hurling clubs in Dublin were O'Toole's and Crave Ciarán, but the big hurling clubs in Dublin now are just the big clubs in Dublin and they have very strong... Now, you have a situation at Club like Croaks where there's literally no crossover. You know, they're almost two distinct clubs. But everywhere else, Ballyball, <clears throat> St. Jude's and Athena, like it, they're, they're, I suppose they're one and the same, really. It's just when you get to that elite level at Intercounty, uh, Dublin have yet to kind of... I don't know whatever it is to kind of capture all the potential that's there. I I think it's it's that isn't it isn't it that analogy? Uh, a rising tide, it's you know, boats. lifts all boats. Like I mean, if Dublin footballers do well, <clears throat> that's going to motivate the holders. And when something like this happens, I would think the passionate Dublin holders would be thinking, we need to kind of get going here. We need to be competing for all Ireland's if we want to not not let this happen again. That's if O'Donnell doesn't come back next year. Um, but all the other stuff, like, I mean, the stuff that we would have got, like sponsored cars, they get sponsored cars. Um, so do so do some of the other codes. So it's not it's not as if it's um there's there's benefits and there's there's kind of there's things that will cross over from one one of the teams doing success being successful. So uh, I couldn't see why you would be kind of going against one of the other you know so let's move on to Derry's first Ulster title for 24 years their win over Donegal it came in for a lot of criticism Philly because of how they played you weren't happy now with that mm. criticism it was a strange one for me I'll tell you why I was sitting down um, excited to watch the game had my notepad out ready to take <laughs> my notes down right and uh, and I'll tell you why I was excited right because it was for me right this is a, this, it was more the Derry side of things I was excited mm. for so I was like well what do they do like so, so what do they do well? What do what are they trying to intend to do, and how does that impact the opposition? Right. So that's what, that was my intention watching that game, and um, or is it this enigma? Is it you know is it this thing where they've won two games and they're going to drop off here, yeah. or are they actually going to be really solid and consistent and get this result right, uh, performance to get the result? So I was sitting there, watched the game. I was actually really intrigued by it. I was really intrigued. And again, I probably think differently from playing at that level and everything else. So I don't think everybody thinks the way I think in terms of watching the game. So I'm taking notes. And um, and after the game, uh, I kind of, my analysis of the game was very similar to what a lot of people were saying. Like, you know, we were saying earlier in the, in the championship, you know, the underdog needs to contain the favourite till a point where they can actually you know, go tit for tat. And that's what Derry done brilliantly. Mm -hmm. They were structured, they were solid, they were facing the opposition every time Donegal were attacking. Whereas if you watch Limerick or Kildare, they were running backwards where in terms of attack to get the early lead. They had a confident forwards, all that sort of stuff, right? So I was actually feeling good. Now, generally, the odd time I'd listen to the punditry after it, like. Yeah. But I said, I'm going to listen to this to see what I wrote down. Is that what they're seeing? And it was just, I remember kind of at a point going, yeah, that was a shy game. That was that was just crap, that was. And I, I remember saying, two seconds ago, I wasn't thinking that way. Mm -hmm. And it just grabbed me thought and I was mm -hmm. like, I just listened to what they've said. 
you know, and, and it was just, and I said to myself, like, why are they not talking about other stuff? Like, why aren't they breaking it down to why this works for Derry and, you know, how how much it, how hard it will take, how they transition, um, what you would think the setup of that week before the game was like, this is what they were doing in training the week before and this is what's happening on the pitch. I'd say this is what they were trying, all of those things that they're not speaking about. And I just looked and I went, and I, I, was, I had my defender's hat on and I was like, well, there's none of them are defenders really, so they're not really thinking in a defensive way. They're not thinking in a defensive structure way. And and then I pull up a question on the Instagram: What do you think of Derry's style? Mm-hmm. And everything was poor Ulster football, uh, so defensive, all of this stuff. And if you have these pundits are probably directed a certain way from stats and everything else. Um, and for me, can you? Like if we constantly put a negative spin off teams trying to try things tactically differently, every time something changes, what do we talk negatively about it? Mm. You know, and I get that. I get that we want to be expansive. We want that you know, back end to end type of football, but that's not the way it's going to be. Derry are are spoken about so much now over the last three games that if they didn't do that style of football, mm-hmm. they would be forgotten at this stage now. You know they wouldn't, and they would they wouldn't have won an Ulster championship if they played a different way. So I think the, the point I'm trying to make is we have to realise that even as much as we talk about how negative this is and Ulster football and Donegal or Warsaw at some point, that's not going to change how these teams set up. They're going to do what they can to win. So it doesn't matter. Then it's you're not going out to suit the fans. And and it, sorry, the other point is Dan that it's isn't it unbelievable that we went out and played a certain way and won all Ireland's doing mm. it. That's, that's the thing. That's that's it. I, I was at one point. I was thinking to myself, the, 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 like the, that was tough to do. Mm. You know, that's. But again, not all teams have the the capabilities of doing it. I know. I think the thing afterwards as well, Connor, was that people were saying this won't win in All Ireland, but they weren't trying to win in All Ireland. They were no. trying to win an also title clonus. No, it's fu- yeah, put, yeah. There is a certain thing about style that style of football, particularly when two teams play each other yeah. in that game. And I think Donegal made more sacrifices to their own style to play on Derry's level which in itself shows the power of what Derry are mm. doing so what happens is there are so few errors there are so few opportunities to counter attack and there are so few moments that people find exciting that the atmosphere drains and even in a game as big as an Ulster final you could hear through the television the absence of noise if that makes any mm. sense right so that is the effect that it has on people it's not particularly entertaining it doesn't excite us um, you know whatever the receptors are in the brain the response to exciting sport that doesn't do it mm-hmm. right so let's take that as red I'm not sure that the role of the pundit should be to express that all the time and tell us how much they're enjoying it or not because while punditry in my mind should be primarily entertainment mm-hmm. right Roy Keane being a, the, the prime current example of that it should also be insightful because mm-hmm. people who watch football and hurling generally the elite inter-county level there's more to it than it is when it's played in the local part that's just a fact and the sort of absence of analysis and the old tropes that's the thing that gets me you know people talk about this is grim well grim is not a good adjective to use about that because it doesn't tell you anything like grim Again. like I don't yeah. I, I don't need you to tell me like what. no harm to yeah. any of those pundits but I don't care whether they're joy- enjoying their afternoon or not so yeah. so okay the game you don't find exciting that's grand but break down why Derry are after winning the Ulster title yeah like Derry didn't get promotion from Division 2 this year and they're after cleaning out the top table in Ulster like cleaning it out 
and they got over the line in extra time. That is a big moment in the story of Ulster football, in the story of Derry football, in the story of Rory Gallagher's coaching career. Mm-hmm. There are Derry footballers, guys like Chrissy McCaig and Brendan Rodgers and these fellas who were playing senior inter-county football two years ago that looked like bad footballers because they were in a bad team. So that has changed. So to me, I want to know why that is. I don't care whether you don't find it interesting or not, because like there's nothing new to that. There's nothing insightful about that. And to me, anyway, there's nothing entertaining about a pundit telling you that he's not entertained. So what would you have told us, Philly? I would, I would have, I would have looked at the the context around the what Connors just said. That the context around the dairy setup, the the journey they've been on, uh, why the why they've had to develop this system, mm-hmm. uh, where the system came from, how did Donegal not know this was going to happen, and how did it, how did it, if they did, what did they do, and the build up to to counter that. Um, there's loads like there's just loads of bits in terms of tactically you could be looking at. There's loads of bits environmentally you be you, you could be looking at. Um, and, and I just think yeah, even even to the energy around Gallagher being a Donegal manager. So you know, even I'm going up to them, the, the Donegal lads after the game. You know, there was a respect yeah. that you can see the way they shake hands and. You know, it's not just well done to a Donegal player. It's like a hug after a, a handshake. You know, that type of thing. That's obviously after the game. But I'm just saying there's a relationship there that could be looked at. There's so much. But it, again, it's don't tell me how you're feeling. Like, yeah, yeah. Tell me, give me something that I'm, go, I'm kind of, it's going to stimulate me to kind of go, that's very interesting. And you see it all the time. Like Chelsea, the one thing that sticks out in my mind massively in, in, in another sport and soccer was Chelsea beating Barcelona a couple of years ago when, Barcelona were absolutely running amok and Chelsea had this real low block defensive system. You didn't have pundits going, coming out and saying, I felt that was terrible there. It was like, yeah. this is what they were doing. This is, how they, this, is, this, is, this is what they limited them to and this is who they were trying to, I don't know. Like it does loads. There's just loads of bits. But rightly or wrongly as well, I think. I, I think, the, I, sorry, Connor, I think the, the, the punchy was unbalanced, by the way, mm. in terms of you've got they might have thought it was balanced. You had one female there, you had one kind of player that's just nearly finished and then you had one player that's, you know, is is has finished a long time ago in, in O'Rourke. But there was no one there that I would think in a defensive mindset, it doesn't say that if you're a forward and you're a pundit, you can't, you don't understand tactics defensively. But I just, I do think you're in an offensive mindset. So when you're in an offensive mindset and you don't see a game that's, Offensive, you're kind of going. That's you. Yeah, but like even like so to, to to kick a point nowadays in a game like that, the level of skill that that takes from a forward, because invariably you're going away from goal, you're under far more pressures to execute that kick at the angle that you're at in mm. the time and space that you have. There's a huge level of skill involved in that, and it's never mentioned in those sort of situations. The Michael Murphy's Murphy's outside the foot, off the charts. So that's that's a level of skill in terms of the dexterity of the kick that's really really off the charts. If you go back to the nineties, you know, which you know, if you were to go by punditry, would seem to be the glory days of Gaelic mm. football. Like the games in a lot of cases were far more exciting because. Mm. There's so many mistakes, there's so many turnovers, so much kicking the ball away. There's one-on-ones all over the pitch. Yeah. But by the same token, like it's much easier to kick a point over the bar when you have to beat one man and stick it over the bar. So so I suppose the offshoot of the really defensive kind of systems is the premium on scores is much higher. Therefore, you have to, like the, the tactics that lead to a scoring chance are much higher, the decision-making. Like no, look at the number of times the opposition will kind of get inside the scoring zone but 
like who where does the decision come from where we have to get this kicker on the ball or this is not a good sweet spot um, because there weren't a huge number of wides the other day as mm. well so like I suppose the error count was so low but that also means that the level of skill that's required to get a score is much higher again but even even talking about Rodgers and, and Murphy like <laughs> like there was a plan there to push Murphy backwards and it worked and Rodgers and he spoke about Rodgers and I think got man in the match but Tell me more about that. Tell me what what would he have been doing the week before that? What would what Gallagher was, be saying was, to him? What was really interesting about that was I covered the pre, two previous games. Rogers didn't move from the edge of the square. Mm. Did not move from the edge of the I'm square. I'm telling you, he was told to go. Yeah, yeah. and that Push was a, Murphy back. That was a complete tactical innovation from from Derry that I'm yeah. fairly sure. Well, I don't know, but you'd imagine that Donegal hadn't anticipated that had a huge bearing on the match. If I was Mark and Murphy and I was told you're going to mark him when he goes out to the pitch, I'd be rubbing my hands. Mm. Yeah. Because you're giving me a license to attack. Whereas if I mark Murphy in around the square, then you don't really give me a license to attack because it's too far away. But will Murphy challenge me going backwards? Um, as in, will he be defensive from a full forward going mm. back? Probably not. He'd probably pass me on. But if I'm playing on Mark and Murphy out the pitch, all I have to do is compete with them in the high ball, get close to them when they're they're they um they're attacking. But when we have the ball, go. And that's what Rogers. I, I think part of the problem is when you're analysing it nowadays, and it happens a lot in soccer analysis and hurling analysis as well, is that it used to be fairly easy to watch a match and say, well, that guy is playing well because of the good things he did when he got on the ball, mm. or that guy is doing well because he's tackled the winger or whatever it is but now it's actually quite difficult you don't know what players are supposed to be doing when they go out on the pitch so you, you like I know from say we have to do these player ratings for a newspaper sometimes you sit down afterwards and you go I don't know whether that guy played well or not because in a lot of cases his job is to defend his own you so need to not, get the manager to give you a list yeah, of so jobs you, you, so you, wouldn't, do his yeah, job. you wouldn't know like some fella might be getting a hard time because somebody scored scored a point off him but the only reason he scored a point because the fella who was supposed to be standing there wasn't standing there in the first place so it's probably difficult to be fair to people whose job it is to analyse those games um, to know exactly what everybody's supposed to be doing in that yeah. sort of situation you there's not a scientific formula for player ratings is that right <laughs> <laughs> that. everyone gets a six let's go so on didn't to get the... more than two all stars <laughs> <laughs> um, so Derry in the All-Ireland quarterfinal at Crow Park do they double down their tactic, tactics What do, now that we're in the All-Ireland series right so so this is the interesting thing so the, 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 the big question is obviously Kerry and Dublin are probably up there now as the two favourites right um, I would think it anyway so um, who do they get before they meet each other right and I think Derry will cause problems but I do think specifically specifically Dublin will be able to deal with that system because they've had to, to win all Ireland's mm-hmm. um, but they, they are very good in tra- Derry are very good in transition which is something that Dublin will have to be good at and they've shown that they haven't been in the league where they've left gaps at the back against Armagh, against uh, Kerry. And I think they have to make sure they have their shape. So once you have your shape and they count on, once you have hard working forwards, which Dublin do have, then that will suit. It'll be a good game, but I still think Dublin and Kerry would be too strong for them. Um, but they will, if they come up against other, uh, like a Galway or any teams that come through the backgrounds, the, 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 the qualifying stages I think they'll cause problems because they're so structured yeah, I think they'll double down because like so? Philly said Dublin and Kerry are the two teams with enough firepower and everything else to play through the way Derry defend but they're on the other side of the draw so for Derry to play yeah. Kerry or Dublin now it would have to be in an All-Ireland final oh, so, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so everyone yeah. else on their side of the draw 
I think Derry are going to cause them serious problems. Yeah. Now, the big question is how that game transfers to Crow Park That's when it. you have more space to cover as a defensive unit. You know, can you afford to sit quite so deep? Because you're also coming up against teams that have better kickers now uh, when they get on the ball. So the little pockets of space that you might give over on this, this side of the pitch when you're up and playing at the athletic grounds or playing in Clonus, all of a sudden that's a slightly bigger space to mark. Um, and then obviously when you're trying to transition the ball, you have to get forward an awful lot quicker because there's more space there. But I think because they won't face Dublin or Kerry till an all-earn final, I absolutely see them doubling down the on it. The two here. obvious things that I think how you can get after Derry, yeah. how to be Derry. You can't let them get the lead because they'll sit back and they'll counter, mm-hmm. right? So you must hit them early. So none of the teams, none of the three teams have actually brought that fear mm-hmm. of you you are the underdogs here. Right? So when you start doing that like Dublin did to Kildare, like Kerry did to Limerick, then does that as we keep talking about every week, psychological scarring. I shouldn't be here. My mind, I don't know how to kind of grab the uh, control or keep order in the tactics of the game or what my job is or I might go off and do something that I shouldn't do but it's coming from a good place because I'm trying to help the team and you're actually yeah, disorganising that a bit more. It. So you think that you sh- the team should be approaching them kind of saying to them you don't, you shouldn't be here, is that it? Well they should, they should be um, putting fear into their yeah. heads early, you know. Um, and how would they do that? Getting an early lead, yeah. you know, um, putting their, their, being aggressive, being physical, um, basically getting into their head a little bit. Like, I think if you do that, then what happens is their confidence levels start to drop. Otherwise, the opposite of that is if they get an early lead, their confidence level starts to rise like they did against Odegaard. So that's one area. I think that I hate doing this and I, I, I was always conscious of not doing this, but I'm going to. Um, I think that keeper was... It was was a bit uh, off his game. I don't know. No, that was a once off. Two balls he dropped, um, and his kickouts kick to the out. left went over the soil on a good mm-hmm. bit. So, if you want to get after a team, um, that's solid defensively, the only way you can kind of really get after them is a quick ball in from a turnover. They'll still probably have a sweeper or their kickouts, because they're running all over the place to try to get this ball. If you get that ball, then they're vulnerable because they're not set. So if you can get after that kickouts and teams like like the, the big four or five teams in the in the country will get after your kickouts. The big worry from a, from just from going back to the entertainment point of view is that a bit like Dublin against Donegal in twenty eleven in the semi final, what you can't do and what none of the good teams will do is get sucked into the trap of committing too many bodies forward. So Derry are going to be counter attacking and transition, and you can't get caught out because you've sent your entire half-back line and your non-marking full-back up to join the attack to try and break them down. You have to make sure that you sit and hold your shape. So it becomes this very... It's a numbers game. Yeah, It's yeah. a numbers game and it's a who blinks first. And in that situation, if there you're ahead, it's hard not to panic because if you think of the effort that Donegal had to exert to score three points the last day, you're facing that deficit and you're thinking, okay, this is actually... Th- there's only five minutes gone here, but this is a bit of a mountain to climb early on in the game. Whereas I think if you hit the front, as Philly says, and it's the onus is on Derry, yeah. it draws them out and it changes the, the mentality of the game. Because in the three games that they've had uh, in Ulster, it is very noticeable that they've, they've led early in all of those games and haven't been clawed back. I've no doubt this is a, a progression from McGuinness, his soccer background, and that then falling into the hands of Gallagher 
and that's that's where that's come from. Hundred yeah. percent, that has to be because that's what. If you look at a soccer match and you play the game in one half, that's the way they set it set up. Mm-hmm. And then they're they're obviously looking at then if you do that, you're creating massive space. So if you were to play in for, from a forty, it's kind of just outside the forty-five meter line into the goal, and you've got fifteen players behind the ball, and you're playing, and you're saying like you keep uh, maybe three defenders back, right? So you're playing fifteen sorry 14 versus 15 a goalkeeper as well you could say um, versus 12 right so if you just went out and trained tomorrow night or tonight and said right we're going to do 15 versus 12 the 15 should win all the time mm-hmm. you should struggle to get scores so that's that's the whole idea of it the difficulty with Donegal over the years was they were doing that really well but they weren't transitioning well mm-hmm. it, it, it takes bravery as well because even if you go back and Dublin mastered this um, particularly around 2017 and 2018 is that what you actually have to do against a defence that's set like that is you have to invade it with with bodies you have to stretch them you have to make sure that a guy whose job it is to stand in what in basketball would be known as the post or something you have to make sure that if you send a man in all of a sudden where he stands is not his choice anymore Mm -hmm. because there's a body there and once you start to do that then you can stretch and then you can play through it but it takes a huge amount of training and orchestration as I'm sure Philly will tell you that goes back to the point of like this is this is what we should be looking mm. at. There's there's something in it from we should be telling the GA yes. world about this. This is about how hard this. it's to mm-hmm. do. Like I, I've worked with soccer clubs and and week on week you'd hear people you're still working with me. Yeah, she's the football's not great, isn't it? I'm like, if you knew, yeah, just for that move, what the had to be done, to do what amount of hours, what amount of things and training had to be done to get that, you'd 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 really really respect it because. Yes, they don't have what Barcelona and Man, Man, Man City and Liverpool have, but they still do all of this stuff to get to that stage. And, and that's what I think. I think that's where the punji needs to get to. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, lads, just before we go, we're just going to have a quick word on the qualifiers at this weekend. Uh, so we've got Cork against Louth, Armagh against Tyrone, Mayo against Monaghan, Connor. Uh, Clear against Mead. Could this be Andy McEntee's last game in charge of Mead? It almost certainly will if they lose. Yeah. And now Mead's record against Clare is very good. They've played them quite a lot, but it's been getting closer and closer. Like they've, they've, I think they've played five times and made it, or six times and Mead have won five or something like that over the last five years because they've been close enough in the league. Um, but it, I suppose the reason that people are teeing it up that way is that it's very different for Clare to lose in Munster the way they lost and me to lose in Leinster the way they lost. There was almost an expectation with me that they were going in a better direction and actually their defeat to Dublin this year was arguably worse than it was last year. So the reason I think all four games are interesting this weekend is I don't think any of those teams... This is interesting now with the qualifiers without the Division 3 or Division 4 teams because everybody in the first round of the qualifiers is a Division 1 or a Division 2 team and by extension they would all have had higher... uh, ambitions than losing the f- so they're all scarred on some level mm-hmm. and that's why I think those four games are all interesting because there's a there's definitely a psychological component to all eight of those teams and how they will have reacted to losing in their pr- provinces yeah they are very interesting Mayo against Monaghan Philly what do you reckon it, it, it's brilliant isn't it really like, <laughs> isn't it like when yeah. you think about it from a Mayo point of view they, they need to get going don't they like because every year they get knocked out. They they go on this run and they end up somehow getting to a either a semi final or last year final. But there's no yeah. kind of you know like there were previous years where they might have gotten Clare or something in the first round. So yeah. so like yeah. now I know they could have gotten Clare again this round. But what I'm saying is, you know, it's a brilliant game. There's no there's no little 
off you go, lads. Here's here's yeah. the first match to get you over on the line and get Considering going again. how long they, since they played. Yeah. Like and I think Monaghan will be thinking, we're so pissed off at losing to Derry. Yeah. What a great game to get back on. Either it's 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 either do or do or die in terms of playing against Mayo and that they're probably saying that'll kick us on to the next game you know it'll be a good win if we get on to the whoever's next you know yeah. so I think it's a brilliant uh, it's a brilliant matchup I think it's six weeks though since Mayo played and, I, and it's probably yeah. long it's probably long enough for them to have gotten over the Galway defeat the big question about Mayo is the n- level of injuries that they have mm-hmm. yeah. like they don't know about Oshie and Mullen Ryan O'Donoghue sounds like he's in a bit of bother so mm-hmm. um, they're struggling this year and I just wonder whether that kind of epic qualifier run that has served them so well in the past they might just be built for it this year just with the injuries that they have what, what do you do if you're Horn like you know what I mean if, if, you, if you get beaten by Monaghan like you're asking the question about McEntee like yeah what happens there like mm. it's the oh, second term and it's I think he stays on like, yeah, I think he'll feel a bit hard done by. I think he'll feel a bit a bit hard done by injuries. Yeah, like it's been very unfortunate. If, if he's injuries. had three in, three years since he came back, two of them were in COVID, and one of them were really badly mixed with injuries. Whereas the difference with McEntee and is that he, he's had six years and he survived kind of a county board vote of no confidence last mm. year, which is why, why people are asking on? questions. Yeah. Why would you bother staying on, like? crazy isn't it so Cork and Loud and uh, Armagh against Strong lads quick ones on those what do you reckon how do you see them going I think Cork will win that one but the other yeah. one I don't know the other one's a toss like Armagh are another team who have repeatedly underperformed in their province yeah. and this yeah. year was another one of those days where when you think of the amount of preparation that went into that first championship the, game they were yeah, they yeah. were a massive letdown yeah. but maybe this is the one to sharpen the minds it's like it's like it's like the Mayo and Monaghan situation. It's very similar, like for Armagh, like yeah. Um, and the funny well, thing is, back to that league game at Crow Park and their win over Dublin. Well, just after all, the, after all the ranting about deep sort of tactical analysis, I don't think the tactical analysis of that game is actually nearly as important as the the sort of you know amateur psychology of it. You know, yeah. like yeah. genuinely, if if Tyrone lost that game against Derry and said, okay, well we're nowhere. They're gone. Whereas if they come back now and like it'd be interesting to see whether Rory Canavan is coming in. I know under 20s is a bit more of a step up than under 21s but he's seriously Mm, good. He he is is seriously good. And something like that could just give you a bit of a flicker to get your season going. I think you bring him you you have to again just my opinion I think you have to protect him. So my, my reasoning behind that is and I've said this before if you bring a player in that has huge potential to an environment that's unsettled and that player could become part of that that environment. If you bring a player in when the environment is strong, like we would have with Dublin over the years, that player adds to that. Mm. Whereas so you think it, leave him off? I just don't know if the environment is settled there with the amount of players that have walked away would give me an indication. Mm. Whatever reason, but yeah. but it give me an indication. I think you bring him in now and I'd say it's tempting though. Oh yeah. If they're gonna bring him in, they'll probably bring him in and just to be around the environment. Mm. But again, that could be dangerous, like yeah. Could, he could rub off and stuff that's like if you have someone there going I'm, I'm out here like I'm not getting and he's looking at that it's not really the stuff you want to be around is it like yeah. mm. coming into your first, first year we've had Con O'Callaghan coming in and you would have none of that and he's kind of going right well they're the standards they're, mm. they're the, the values that we have to abide by I'm going to actually add to that Okay, well, some really interesting qualifiers this weekend. Well, that's it for this week's Throwing with Philly McMahon. Don't forget to join Will and Michael on Monday's show as they look back on all the weekend's action. You can listen, rate and follow on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll be back again next week.
This is an Irish independent podcast.